What does the Nurses Health Study have to do with you, your health, and the health of the world at large? Let's dig deep with my guest, Dr. Jorge Chavarro, Associate Professor of Nutrition and Epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health, right here on episode 243 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am so grateful you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me here on the virtual airwaves for months or maybe even years. Thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing and healthcare career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of medicine, healthcare, nursing, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show? That's right. Head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you do that for me, I will thank you on air and read your review for all to hear. Speaking of which, a listener with the handle River Forever submitted the following five-star review. Nurse Keith keeps up with issues that nurses face at many stages in their careers. I enjoy his take on these issues and his ability to relay solutions on how to tackle them with a calm and wonderful energy. Not only does he focus on career, but how to maintain the career while keeping a positive, great attitude. I highly recommend this podcast for my fellow nurses. So thank you. To River Forever. That was very kind. And if you want to find the show notes for today's episode, hop on over to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 243. And today we're joined by Dr. Jorge Chavarro from Harvard University in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Jorge. Uh, thank you, Nurse Keith, and uh, I'm very uh, happy to be in your show. Oh, thank you so much. And today, what we're really going to dig into is the Nurses' Health Study Part 3, correct? Correct. So can you tell us what the Nurses' Health Study is? Because I know there's there's a listener out there who's really going to want to understand what this is and what the purpose is. So the Nurses' Health Study um, actually... It's it's been three it's three different studies uh, right now. So the original nurses' health study started in 1976, um, and it was designed to understand how oral contraceptives, uh, which had been recently introduced to the market at that time, impacted uh, a woman's risk of developing breast cancer, uh, which was something that wasn't known at the time, whether or not there was a, con- a concern. And over time, it has evolved to become a study that has helped us understand a lot about how uh, lifestyle factors and biological factors impact women's health in general. So the study expanded in 1989 uh, with the recruitment of another set of nurses, uh, and that was called the Nurses' Health Study 2. And uh, that was my in, where I was initially involved as a doctoral student uh, here at Harvard. And um, then there's the National Cell Study 3, which I lead right now, uh, which uh, we started in 2010 uh, when we wanted to further expand the scope of our research to include uh, one of my uh, core areas of research, which is trying to understand how lifestyle factors and nutrition impact fertility and pregnancy health, but also interests uh, about how early uh, life exposure, so how uh, exposures during uh, late adolescence and early adulthood impact health over uh, extended periods of time as, as people age. I see. 
I see. So what I read from the website from the Nurses Health Study 3, which is nhs3.org, is that in 1976, you had 122,000 nurses who formed the original. And then in 1989, you added 116,686 nurses for that second part. And then Nurses Health Study 3, how many nurses are involved in this particular study at this time? So, so far we have about 47,000 nurses involved in the study. 47,000, okay. So, unlike Nurses Health Study 1 and Nurses Health Study 2, where, where there was a one-time recruitment that spanned a period of about one to two years, in Nurses Health Study 3, we have decided to have a rolling enrollment. So, every day we get uh, a few dozen new participants over the course of the year, we get about a thousand new participants or so. So everybody's on their own schedule. But what we'd like, uh, our goal is to be able to get to a similar size of Nurses Health Study 1 and Nurses Health Study 2. So somewhere around 100,000 uh, uh, participants in the study. I see. So your goal is 100,000 and you're at 47. Yeah. Okay. So we have we have a way to go. We do, yeah. And I know you're addressing a lot of different public health issues, as well as things like nurses' health, shift work, chemical exposure, fertility, gender, sexual orientation, genetics. There's a lot being studied in here. And could you elucidate for us why nurses? Why have nurses been chosen to be the subjects of these very long-term studies? So... uh I'll let you in on a on a on a little secret of the nurses' health studies. And okay. It was, it was that uh, nurses were actually not the, the initial choice of of the study. So back when back in 1976, when my colleagues uh, um, were thinking about starting the study, the original idea was to have doctors' wives be the study participants, and the rationale was that they would be somewhat familiar with medical terminology, and if they weren't familiar, they would have somebody who could uh, help them answer questions. And the, the, the pilot studies failed because it was a very, soon, very soon people realized that it wasn't the doctor's wives who were answering the questions, it was the doctors who were answering the questions. Oh, <laughs> so you were getting skewed responses. Exactly, so then they said, well, oh dear, we still need, um, a large number of women out there who are familiar with medical terminology and who are good at uh, following detailed directions. So they said, well, why don't we try nurses? And that's how, how the nurses started. And now it has turned out that that was the best decision ever. Uh, so nurses are excellent study participants. And uh, they, uh, they are among the most judicious person, uh, people out there in being able to follow what can sometimes be tedious uh, questionnaires, especially when you're having to answer very long, uh, detailed questions about your diet or about your mm -hmm. uh, or, or about your work and things like these, and provide very high quality information, much higher quality information, uh, both in terms of, of uh, amount and in terms of, um, of detail than people without medical training would be able to have. Uh, so they, in my opinion, nurses are by far the, the best study participants out there. I see. In terms of the type of information that you can ask nurses to provide uh, without having to go into detailed explanations of why something might be important to have. Right. 
So if we look at the study participation scoreboard, we've got nurses one, doctors' wives zero, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So <laughs> I, I would say it's important, like ten to negative something. Yeah, no, no, and and even compared to the general population, nurses are excellent, excellent study participants. So that has been actually part of the some of the criticisms that nurses' health studies have uh, received over time. It's well. How is it possible that you get such good quality data by just asking people to self-report uh, their diet or to how physically active they are or ask them about if they've gotten diseases uh, like this? And it, I think it just comes down to professional training in, in knowing how to report these kind of things. And in, in a way, self-selection into a profession where determination and uh, consistency are very important and this carries forward to when they participate in research um, and and it is but on the other hand it is not like nurses uh, have descended from mars and are completely different from <laughs> every other uh, human being nurses are very much very very similar to people in the in the general population as far as their biology is concerned so even though their ability to answer questions and to follow through um, as research participants is excellent and, and without any comparison to anybody else, they are just as human as anybody else and therefore they're, they are uh, great study subjects uh, and have proven to do so, to be so for the last 40 years or so. Wow. Well, with all that praise, you've got my audience in the palm of your hand. So well done. Very well played. <laughs> So I, I, I honestly believe that. So I, <laughs> I know you do. I know you're not pandering. I know you're you're speaking truth. I am not. I, this is my. So uh, I, I've I've had the opportunity to to work with other groups uh, with with other research types of research participants, and by far the 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 group of study participants that I enjoy working the most are nurses, just because they're such good study participants. Uh, well, there's an audience member out there who wants to send you flowers now for all those kind words. So one thing I want to say to my listeners in Great Britain is that, yes, this is called the NH3, NH, <laughs> NHS3, and our apologies. We know NHS in Britain means National Health Service. So if we say NHS, please know that we are not dissing you. We're just speaking about the nurses health study here in the United States. So just to clarify that. So Jorge, Dr. Javaro, you're an associate professor of nutrition and epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health and Medicine in Boston. And you've been focusing on nutrition and lifestyle and how it impacts human reproduction from preconception throughout the lifespan. And now you're working, of course, on this particular study, which now I believe from the website includes men and Canadian nurses and nursing students. So it's expanded. Correct. So that that was, uh, so when, when we had the opportunity to start a new study, to start a new cohort of nurses, we wanted to make a few things uh, slightly different that had been done before. So it seems uh, we've, we've obviously gained a lot of, of insights and a lot of experience of how to conduct studies uh, in the general population with, uh, with Nurses Health Study 1 and 2. But we also knew that we could do things better in, in a few aspects. One of them is uh, studying men. So when Nurses Health Study 1 and Nurses Health Study 2 uh, were started, so that's 1976 and 1989, mm -hmm. um, nursing was primarily a female profession. 
right? So, right. so uh, male nurses were a rare species among nurses in 1976. Mm -hmm. So even though female nurses are still the majority of nurses out there, there's a lot of male nurses out there. And we wanted to make sure that we included men not only to have a better representation of nurses and the nursing profession, but also to be able to study men's health issues. So that's that's one thing that we wanted to put a lot of effort into. So we really want male nurses in our study. And, and, we're, and we haven't been as successful in recruiting male nurses as we have been in recruiting female nurses. I see. Um, so for any male nurses out there, we really, really want you to join the study. We, we are very, very much interested in, uh, in hearing from you um, and engaging with you in the study. The second thing that we wanted to do differently mm -hmm. was um, about diversity. So just as the country's demographics have changed uh, and, uh, and the demographics of the, prof of the nursing profession have changed and uh, racial ethnic minorities uh, have increased as a proportion of the nursing profession, um, so we also wanted to, that to, to be uh, something that was reflected in the third version of the nurses' health study. So right now, uh, about 15% of our participants uh, uh, identifies a racial or ethnic minority, which is a little under the representation of racial uh, and ethnic minorities in the nursing profession. So we'd like to do a little better uh, than we're currently doing. And the, 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 a third thing that we wanted to do different was be able to capture uh, certain events on real time. And by that I mean we wanted to capture pregnancies on real time, and that had to do with my research interests on fertility and pregnancy. So we, um, as I mentioned before, uh, the main uh, impetus bef uh, for starting Nurses' Health Study 1 and 2 was breast cancer research. For, uh, for Nurses' Health Study 3, we really wanted to start recruiting uh, younger nurses. And one of the reasons I got involved early is that if we're going to be recruiting young, younger nurses, in particular young women, young women don't get very sick. It's going to take a few decades before they start getting sick. So if, if but we really wanted to capture exposures as what, what is it that they're eating? How, how is it that they're exercising or not? And what other lifestyle practices are they having in their uh, 20s and 30s? The, the most obvious thing to study in this age group is reproduction. Um, so because of that, we designed the study so that rather than using our traditional paper questionnaires for follow-up, which is how we follow question, uh, the nurse cell study one and two, we made the study completely online so that we could tailor not only follow-up and questions to specific nurses and to their specific uh, uh, life experience, but also that that could allow us to follow pregnancies in real time for women who were getting pregnant and wanted to share with us specific information about their pregnancy. Brilliant. Okay, that sounds like a brilliant move. And to capture millennials, because they are now pretty much the largest portion of the workforce in nursing as well or getting there, you want to capture them in a way that they'll want to participate, which is on a computer, a laptop, or a or a, um, you know, on a iPad or something, a tablet. So I think that was a very good move. And for anyone out there who is feeling kind of apoplectic when we were talking about um, 
doctor's wives, I just want to say that we understand now in 2019, as opposed to 1976, that the majority, vast majority of doctors and even medical students in 76 and maybe even in the 80s were men. And now we see that there's an enormous percentage of female doctors and female medical students. And some people have told me that more than half of students in medical schools right now are female. So doctors' wives can mean a different thing now because we have same-sex couples, Mm -hmm. but then we might have to bring in um, doctors' husbands because (laughs) we have a lot of female doctors who are who are married to men or women at this juncture in time. That That is correct. I mean, so... Oh, my gosh. That is one thing that has definitely changed between 1976 and 2019. Uh, so, so we want to make sure that we remain relevant. Um, so that at the same time that we're making, uh, that we're generating uh, interesting knowledge and relevant uh, knowledge, that we remain relevant and we are able to reflect how society has changed over the last 40 years. Perfect. That is that is so spot on. And I know as a researcher, that's important to you. You know how that what it means to have a representative sample of the people you really want to study and to be able to sh- extrapolate that data to the larger population. So that sounds very prudent. So we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your history and the wonderful things you've achieved in your career, Dr. Trevorrow. And then we're going to talk about how listeners can get involved in NH3, NHS3, the Nurses Health Study 3. So we'll be right back. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message just for you. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please Consider referring them, and if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me, and there's no expiration date on that credit, and you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What a deal! Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. All right. Thanks for hanging out here on the Nurse Keith Show. We are so happy to have Dr. Jorge Chavarro from Harvard University here. This is episode 243, and the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 243. So, Dr. Chavarro, we were talking about various ways in which this 
um, what would you say, how this study has evolved from 1976. And you've been involved in research for a very long time. As I said, you're Associate Professor of Nutrition and Epidemiology at Harvard School of Public Health. And what I read in your bio from the website is that your work has resulted in more than 200 peer-reviewed publications and leading journals. You have, you have contributed amazingly and incredible amount of research to reproductive medicine and you've been recognized by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and you received the 2014 New Investigator Award and you also teach and you've served as a member of the research working group for the National Action Plan for the Prevention, Detection and Management of Infertility. You have been a peer reviewer for NIH panels. What have you not done in your career as a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I haven't done in a while is is see patients. Oh, <laughs> so that was my question. I've uh, I've essentially shifted uh, entirely to to uh, research only, so I, I wouldn't trust my clinical skills much these days. I might have uh, some uh, fifteen years ago or so, but not anymore. Now, now I, uh, now I, I uh, now I'm a, a full research person as opposed to, to a clinical person. I see, I see. I mean, it takes time and it takes a lot of effort to uh, to generate all these data and to be involved in a in a research enterprise of of this magnitude. So, um, and uh, as as you've mentioned, uh, my my subject matter research and, and my great passion is understanding how nutritional lifestyle factors impact impact uh, fertility and impact pregnancy health. Mm. And that's uh, that's really the main reason that I wanted to be involved in Nurses Health Study Three when when we were developing and being and, and designing it. And uh, that's what drove. Um, the decision to be able to try to capture women's reproductive experiences as it was happening as opposed to acting, answering retrospectively of the, how many pregnancies have you had and so forth. Or when you were pregnant a year ago, did you have, what did you eat back then, right? But try to capture that information as, as it was in real time as it was unfolding. Right, real time, yeah. And uh, one of the other things that we realized when, when we were designing the study is that even though um, the nurses' health study has always been defined by an occupation, right? So by definition, to be part of a cohort, you have to be a nurse. Okay. It, it was never a study about occupational exposures of nurses. So we wanted to give back to the nursing community and make that a change. So, that, so we purposely uh, made occupational ex exposures to nursing one of our core uh, research focus. And, and that, was our, that was actually our first funding for the Nurses' Health Study 3 was to study how uh, some specific occupational exposures impact reproduction, impact fertility, and impact uh, some aspects of, of pregnancy. Okay. And that has continued to be one of our major uh, areas of focus, even though we have expanded since then to include other areas and to receive funding from other institutes of, of the NIH, such as uh, National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences and the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute. So uh, what nurses are exposed by virtue of their work and how that might impact their health has, it has been front and center uh, in the study from the very, very beginning. I see. So when you say environmental exposures, I have some ideas of what those might be. 
And I've spoken with nurses at the, um, there's a new environmental health nursing organization out there, and we'll be having some of those folks on the show. So what do you mean by environmental exposures in the workplace? And what could you give us some examples of what those are, even if you don't maybe have the data to, for how they actually affect reproduction and fertility? Sure. So, uh, so we developed a, a battery of, of questionnaires in, in conjunction with the, uh, with some investigators at, at the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, and we were primarily interested on on uh, exposures that are essentially ex- exclusive to nurses by virtue of being a nurse, right? So the main things uh, may seem obvious, like exposure to radiation. Uh, especially for some uh, specific tasks within nursing, uh, that's a very, very prevalent exposure. Uh, one that is often overlooked, but but is actually quite common, is um, is being an occupation exposed to carrying heavy loads. So a heavy load is usually defined by something that that weighs more than 25 pounds. And if you're a nurse uh, on, if you're an operating room nurse. If you're an emergency department nurse, if you're a, if you're a floor nurse, you're moving people all the time, and most of them, most of them weigh more than 25 pounds. Yes. So nurses are actually an excellent group for studying whether or not there are health effects of, of repetitively carrying heavy loads, and that's not something that that people appreciate. Other um, uh, occupational exposures that we have been interested are um, a exposure to handling specific types of medications, right? So uh, the physicians prescribe medications, the patients get the medications, but the step between getting the prescription and getting the, getting, getting the, the medication delivered oftentimes involves nurses preparing medications and setting up these. So some types of medications that, that may carry health hazards to the people delivering the medications or preparing the medications include some antineoplastics, yeah, and some antiviral medications, and there's not a lot of data on to what extent these may uh, these may relate in, in some health hazards, and that's something that we're actively working on. And lastly, uh, another type of occupational exposures that that is very specific to nurses or very prevalent in nurses is exposure to high-level disinfectants. So again, that that's uh, more common if you happen to be a nurse in uh, an operating room nurse. Um, or a nurse in, in intensive care or other areas that, that require uh, a, a sterile areas. And uh, again, that ultimately, uh, uh, more than any other people in, in the healthcare setting, it is the nurses who end up getting the brunt of most of the, uh, of the exposure to, to these high-level disinfectants. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for breaking that down. That's very, very helpful to understand what you're looking at because I had some ideas and you've hit on almost all of them. Uh, There's a couple that I want to just mention, but I'm sure there's a nurse out there. Maybe there's several out there right now listening to this saying, yep, yep. Check, check, check. They're checking all the boxes for these exposures. And one thing I'm seeing is that they are starting to look at and use robots who, one, or that, not who, um, can help turn patients. So we're, we're looking at that. Back in the day, 20, 25 years ago, when I was working in 
mm-hmm. and, and exposed to more of the acute care settings when I would round on my patients who I was case managing, they had a lift team. They had these big buff guys who would be called in to lift patients. But now we're moving in the robotic area. And I've also even seen photographs and videos of these robotic back um, strengtheners that a nurse will actually wear that will help her be able to, or him able to lift more. I still worry because so many nurses suffer back and neck injuries and many of them end up on disability or not being able to work at all. And that's a very intense occupational hazard just right there, the physical aspect. And I do think about nurses' joints because when they work, say, three, four, 12-hour shifts a week, that's a lot of pressure on the, the lower extremities, for instance, and the feet. So I do think about that too. You mentioned disinfectants, and and I guess we could expand that to chemicals. So do I have some environmental illness myself, some chemical sensitivity. I react to certain things in the environment. Do you have any data yet to show the effects on the nurses, or is that still in process? So we we do have some some data actually. So okay, and. Uh, because of the age range of, of these of the majority of, of women in the study, so the the, the the most common participant right now in the nurses health study three is is a female nurse who is in, in her early thirties, so thirty to thirty-five, and has either never been pregnant or has been pregnant only once before. So the most common thing that happens to these nurses is that they try to get pregnant and most of them are able to get pregnant. So what we have focused initially is on fertility, is on markers of fertility, and how some of these occupational exposures uh, may impact uh, may impact uh, a fertility in women. So we published uh, a few years ago on um, on physical factors on on this issue of heavy lifting, and we actually found that that women that um, lift heavy loads as part of their work uh, more frequently uh, takes slightly longer to get pregnant than women who do not uh, have uh, heavy lifting as part of their regular schedule. Really? And yes. So is there a correlation that you all have have explored or do you not yet understand what that correlation is? We've done a couple of studies within the nurses health study. So one uh, uh, looking at, at fecundity, right? So how long it takes them to get, how long does it take women to get pregnant? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, uh, it's not that they're completely unable to get pregnant. It's that uh, on average, women who, whose uh, job entails heavy lifting more than 15 times a day, it took them about 50% longer to get pregnant. But 50% longer means that for most women, it takes about two to three months to get pregnant when they're trying to get pregnant. So 50% longer means like three to five months as opposed to two to three months. Very interesting. Now, if, if, if you happen to be someone who's already either older or you have somewhat a risk factor that might make it more difficult for you to get pregnant, so that 50% might be more serious than, than just going from two months to three months or from uh, three months to five, right? Uh, so that's, that's one thing to take into account. Uh, we also found that a lot of this association with fecundity was because menstrual cycle irregularities were more common among uh, nurses who carried, uh, who lifted heavy objects as part of their job than among women who did not. And that included 
both uh, disturbances uh, with more frequent short cycles and more frequent long cycles, uh, which may do, be due to an ovulation. And uh, in a separate uh, cohort um, of women where we were able to, to look at um, other markers of, of ovarian function, we found that there were some markers of ovarian reserve that were affected by head lifting. Mm -hmm. um, so there may be some biological explanation related to ovarian biology, but they were at the very early stages about of that particular uh, reason. I see. So it'll be we have to be patient for their those results. There, there seems to be something going on, but there's, um, but there's still a lot more that we need to learn. And with disinfectants, we also uh, that was also one of our of, of the early papers of the study. Uh, we found that women who uh, were exposed to to high level disinfectants, and this is mostly for disinfection of uh, of uh, medical instruments, right? So mostly uh, uh, nurses that are directly involved in disinfecting equipment. For them, it also took them slightly longer to get pregnant when they were trying to get pregnant than nurses who were not exposed to high-level disinfectants through their job. Uh, and they, one, one interesting thing about this finding is that there was a very strong, very strong difference according to whether or not they use uh, personal protective equipment, right? Uh, on the consistency of use of personal protective equipment and the types and number of different uh, protection equipment that, than they did. So uh, if, if, if they were exposed to high-level disinfectants, but they also use more frequently respiratory protection and gloves and gowns. The, the exposure to high level disinfectants was not as harmful as it was with less consistent use of personal protective equipment. Wow. Well, there's, well, there's a vote right there for nurses, especially in those types of environments, to use the PPE that's on your unit mm -hmm. because it's there to protect you and it doesn't protect you very well when it's sitting in the supply closet. That, that is correct. Yeah. So, but, but, but this, these are the type of questions that, that we think uh, that, that we really want to answer. So through their participation, Nurses One, Nurses Health Study One and Nurses Health Study Two, uh, these uh, nearly 230,000 women have have contributed a lot to society by uh, contributing information consistently year after year, decade after decade. So j just to give you a few examples uh, of, of important things that have come out of nurses' health studies. So you may uh, be familiar with uh, trans fatty acids and uh, some of the uh, labeling uh, laws that came in the early 2000s with the goal of reducing heart disease because of the link between trans fats and heart disease, and more recently the decision from by by the uh, Food and Drug Administration to remove trans fatty acids from uh, something called the general regarded as safe uh, list, uh, which essentially bans trans fatty acids from the U.S. food supply. So that started with research from the Nurses Health Study. It is, it is because of nurses completing questionnaires uh, and answering questions accurately and consistently year after year that uh, the U.S. has, and before the U.S., many other countries actually, decided, you know what, this is actually probably something we do not want in our uh, food supply. Other major contribution that may, people may not, be, may not realize, so our, def our current definitions of um, what we consider 
overweight and what we consider obesity, they're actually relatively recent. And when the, so these were cutoffs that were proposed by the World Health Organization in the mid 1990s. But the data that they used to decide, okay, what is it that we're gonna consider overweight and what is it that we're gonna consider obese was based on the relationship between body mass index with uh, type two diabetes and with other chronic diseases that was arising from the nurses health study primarily. So it is indirectly, it is data from nurses that has impacted a decision that, that applies to the entire world of what counts as overweight and what counts as obese. And these are just two examples of, of things that have come out of nurses health study, but it's uh, thousands and thousands of research articles, each of them making little by little uh, an additional contribution to women's health, uh, which over time amounts to an enormous contribution. And that's, uh, so we think that the same thing is gonna be true for data that uh, women are contributing and will continue to contribute to Nurses Health Study 3, but in the same way that nurses have contributed to society as a whole uh, through their participation in research, as well as through their clinical work uh, and their role as nurses, we wanna make sure that we're giving back to the nursing community oh, I see. for something that they, can, uh, that they can do about their own work and to protect themselves and to learn themselves as it relates uh, to their job as nurses. That's great. So that's a nice give back to the nurses who've, who've contributed so much to the greater society around the world, actually. And so I wanted to ask a couple questions. So one, can nurses get involved in the study if they're not working clinically, like myself? I'm self-employed and I work at home. Is that not an appropriate person to participate you, you you are more than welcome to participate so uh, our point of view is once a nurse always a nurse okay uh, so uh, the 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 idea is that we want to we uh, the, the idea of recruiting nurses is because of their knowledge right mm -hmm. it is not because of the of, of the uh, occupational characteristics themselves. I see. So nurses who are no longer working in nursing or uh, who are working nursing but in, an, in, in, a, in a non-traditional environment, they can join the study. There's, that is not a restriction for joining the study. Thank you. So right now I am at nhs3.org. I clicked on a link that said join. I believe, and I'm actually going to register today to to participate in the study. And I hope that there's a listener out there who will follow my lead and also join the study. And remember, that is nhs3.org. Our apologies again to our British cohorts <laughs> and colleagues. So, Dr. Chavarro, this has been fascinating. Thank you for doing this work. Thanks for, in essence, you're being an advocate for nurses, actually, because you're getting some very interesting and hopefully extremely helpful data that's going to actually help nurses on the job, keep them safer and healthier. And thanks for making so many wonderful contributions to the body of research out there that's just so important for improving the health of Americans and people around the world. No, and uh, thank you uh, for those kind of words. And thank you so much for uh, for having me on your show. It, it, for us, it's, it's very important to 
have as many nurses as possible hear about us and hear about the study. So if, if you are a nurse, a male nurse or a female nurse or a nursing student who is over 18 and born on or after January 1st, 1965, and you live either in the United States or Canada, you are more than welcome to join the study. And as Nurse Keith mentioned, all you have to do is go to nhs3.org and click on the join button and it'll uh, and it'll take you through the through the procedure of how to join the study. And now did you say after born after January 1st, 1965? That is correct. And the 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 date is because that is the upper age range for uh, so our upper age range is the lower age range of uh, participants in nurses health study too. Ah, uh, so I can't join because I I just turned 55. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. So you just missed ah. it. But um, so so if you try to join, you will probably get a, a message at some point saying something. Uh, Thank you for your interest, but you're no longer no, not eligible at this time. But uh, if anyone uh, over 18, but born on or on after 1965, January 1st, 1965, please uh, visit our website to join. Again, that's nhs3.org. Uh, you can also find more information and stay up to date with what's happening uh, with the study on our Facebook page. So uh, our Facebook page is Nurses Health Study uh, uh, 3. And we're, we're also active on Twitter at, at NHS 3. Great. So we will have all of that in the show notes. And that will be at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 243. And we want to thank you for listening to this episode. The show notes will be permanently at that URL. And I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode. And I hope you'll take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and your health and well-being. Part of that could be contributing to society and the profession by going to nh3 nhs3.org and signing up for the study and did you know there are job listings at nursekeith.com that's right you can find jobs from reload and zip recruiter and many other free and other resources in that drop down menu of resources at nursekeith.com i am going to add a page for the nurses health study so that you can find it in the resources section as well the nurse keith show is expertly edited and produced by rob johnston of 520r podcasting and mark cappy Spiesen is our social media ringmaster i want to send my condolences to mark and his family on the death of his father last week be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch and this is nurse keith saying goodbye on until next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Dr. Jorge Chavarro bidding you adios from Boston, Massachusetts. Beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Chavarro, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. This is Nurse Keith signing off at episode 243. Be well. <laughs>